0: This is Body Count, a horror movie podcast, with your hosts, Trent Scott, and Graham Ashley. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to Body Count, You're home for all things creepy, crawly, coolly, gory, or anything else that goes up in the night. I am Trent Scott, and he is Graham
1: Ashley. Hey, what's up, Trent? And welcome back to all our listeners. We're at episode 16, sweet 16 of Body Count. How does that feel, man?
0: Feels good. You know, my, uh, actually, you probably don't know this, but my favorite race car driver used to drive the number 16 car, Mr. Greg Biffle, so 16 uh, is <laughs> a good number for me.
1: All right. Shout out to Greg Biffle. I like it. Yeah. Um, this is a quick turnaround it seems cuz we just did that bonus episode of a quiet place part 2. Yes, and if you track it all the way back, I did the bonus episode with Spiral
0: before that, so this is the fifth straight week you guys are getting some content from my glorious windpipes.
1: <laughs> yeah, um you're welcome ladies and gentlemen <laughs> listening. Um so yeah, we did our bonus place up ep- a bonus episode of a, a quiet place part 2. Um, if you guys haven't heard that yet, or you haven't seen the movie, what are you waiting for? Go out there and see it. It's a great movie. And, you know, of course, listen to body count.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I really thought that, uh, that bonus episode we did the the mini sewed, if you will, I, I had a blast doing that. I think that's one of the better things that we've, uh, released since we got going. So I definitely encourage people. It's like 27 or 28 minutes. I think just a quick run through, through the movie and our thoughts. So, uh, I would, mostly spoiler-free, too. Yeah, so. mostly spoiler-free until the very, very end, like the last, like, two or three minutes. So, yeah, that was that was fun. But that is the past. <laughs> it's time to live in the present. Graham, what are <laughs> we talking about today?
1: Well, you know, I think we're in familiar territory here because we're reviewing another James Wan movie. This is becoming, like, we've done, like, all of James Wan's movies at this point, almost. So I think we should, like, re
0: like change the subtitle from Body Count, a horror movie podcast to Body Count, a James Wan
1: movie podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's we're James Wan fanboys. Um, I, I know that I was somewhat familiar with his work before, um, you know, being a horror fan. Most of my horror movie knowledge goes back to, um, you know, my childhood and, and some of the older ones. So some of these newer movies I haven't yet seen. And um, part of that, I'm going to throw my wife under the bus that she's not a big fan. As you guys know, she gets terrified. So I have to like find ways to to trick her into to watching these or or to getting um, to getting to my eyeballs on these movies. But today we're going to be talking all about The Conjuring.
0: Yes. So I think I mentioned on the last episode that for the 2010s decade, I had this as my second favorite horror movie. I was a big, big, big fan of this coming in. But, Grant, this was a new experience for you.
1: Yes, it was an all-new experience for me. Um, I had definitely heard of The Conjuring. I knew that there was um, you know, a Conjuring universe. I'm hoping that you're going to touch a lot on that. So to explain more to me and more of our listeners who might not be familiar with it. Um, so, yeah, this was exciting. This was, this was fun to watch. And um, all I have to say so far before we jump in is, I was very scared. (laughs) This movie is scary. (laughs) I mean, one of the scarier ones I think that we've reviewed.
0: Yeah, I would, I would put it very close to the top of the list.
1: So yeah, it was a blast. And um, yeah, we're going to, as, as you guys know, as we always do, we're going to run through the plot. Um, I'm going to have some bloody bits for you. Uh, We'll talk about the cast and crew and and all that good stuff. And um, yeah, so get along for the ride. Let's jump in, Trent. Um, do you want to start us off with your typical one sentence synopsis?
0: I uh, I thought you almost forgot about it for a second there, but <laughs> I do in fact have a one sentence synopsis for this film. And you know what? I'm going to keep it short and sweet this time. Okay. Okay. Witches be crazy.
1: <laughs> Witches be crazy. I like
0: it. I like <laughs> and it. And that is not misogynistic. That word started with the W, and I mean it literally.
1: Yes, witches are crazy Especially this crazy witch that is haunting This this poor family So with that in mind Let's jump into a full review Of the plot, shall we? Yes, let's do it, I can't wait All right.
0: so the movie proper opens up With like a uh, Like a mini case that's kind of like an introduction Uh, We see A title card that says Annabelle case, year 1968 And we see There are two 20 something girls and a guy sitting on a couch and they are telling this story to who we will come to find out are Ed and Lorraine Warren. Now they, uh, they tell us about this doll named Annabelle and they, they say that they actually gave permission to a spirit to possess the doll, which just on the surface sounds like a really bad idea, Graham.
1: Oh yeah. From the get go. Um, this doll was a was a hard no for me. Um, just, <laughs> I mean, it looks creepy. It looks demonic. It looks evil. I don't know why you'd have that thing around anyway. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting. Them kind of explaining that, I was like, okay, I'm kind of sucked into this world where um, these kind of things, these spirits, exist, right? Yeah. Well, you'll be happy to know that Annabelle has a spinoff trilogy of her own. <laughs> I know. So there's I, there's I plenty that. of Annabelle content out there for you, Graham. I might have to avoid Annabelle unless you make us review it. But you know, huh, just Annabelle and, and you Annabelle. Said
0: unless
1: <laughs> you mean until I make us review it. <laughs> and Annabelle makes a couple appearances in this too. Um, and you know, being the first one in, in this whole kind of universe, um, I, I know that Annabelle comes back. I, I know that she has a trilogy of her own. So I don't know. My eyes were kind of glued on her every, every chance that she was on screen, but. You know, I guess there was nothing more. But anyway, we'll talk all about that.
0: Yeah. So anyway, they start describing how the doll seems to be moving on its own. They'll put it in one room and they'll come back and it'll be gone or it will have moved. And eventually they leave the doll and they come back to find the department is all destroyed. There's a note that says, miss me with a question mark. And there's also like a red crayon has been taken All throughout one of the bedrooms with Miss Me written on on the ceiling. And the girls decide, okay, enough with the spirits. So they take the doll. They throw it in a dumpster. (laughs) As you should. As you should. (laughs) But alas, this is to no avail because that night we hear a pounding on the door. And they open it. And what is there but the Miss Me note. It is back. (laughs)
1: Yeah, so right from the jump, um, like I said, this movie was scary. I don't know what it was, what it is about this type of of movie, but um, evil spirits and stuff, it just freaks me out, man. So, like, I'm already freaked out, and I'm like, good job, this has already got me sucked in, and this isn't even the story that they're actually gonna be telling for the rest of the time. But I I thought it was a nice little prologue for sure, or epilogue rather. Prologue, epilogue would be at the end. I got it right the first time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Ed explains, yeah, ghosts don't have the ability to do that.
1: This isn't a ghost. This is demonic. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's not really the doll, right? It's just a spirit that that they gave permission to go into the doll, right? Right. Like you said. So um, don't do that, people. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So we cut away and we see that the Warrens are now actually giving a speech about this case. It's three years later. It's 1971 now. And we get a title card explaining that Lorraine is a clairvoyant, which means she has visions and she can see things. And Ed is a demonologist. In fact, the only demonologist recognized by the Catholic church who is not a member.
1: Yeah. So immediate credibility to the Warrens, right? Right. <laughs>
0: And then we get five very important words. Based on a true story. Ooh, don't you love to see that? Now I have some thoughts on based on a true story. (laughs) We will get to that afterwards. But for now, remember, this is based on a true story. And we see the opening title card, The Conjuring. And here we go. Now the the actual uh, plot of the film will begin. We see there's a family, the parents, moving into a new house in Connecticut. And for some reason, their dog, Sadie, just
1: she won't cross the threshold. She refuses to come inside. Dogs have instincts, people. They can sense things that humans cannot. So if your dog is going ape and doesn't want to enter the house, maybe that's a sign that you should also not enter the house. Trust the dogs, man. (laughs) Always trust the dogs.
0: So the parents are a large family. There's Roger, who is the father. There's his wife, uh, Carolyn. And then they have five daughters, Andrea, Nancy, Christine, Cindy, and April.
1: Yeah, nice big family. They're moving to a new farmhouse. Um, everyone's excited, but the oldest, which is usually how it goes. She gives a little attitude, but yes. it seems like a good thing to do, right?
0: So meanwhile... Uh, as everyone's moving in, the youngest daughter, April, finds this, like, jack-in-the-box music box type deal uh, by a tree out by the lake on their property, and she's playing with it. Keep that in mind. Just store that one away, folks. Yeah, store that one away. It'll it'll have meaning. And so from there, we go back inside the house, and we are introduced to the clapping game. And this sets up uh, one of the... Uh, This is like a running gag throughout the movie. Uh, And by gag, I don't mean comedic bit, uh, how that term is normally used. But this is like a recurring thing that they go back to.
1: Yeah, I've never played the clapping game. Have you played the clapping game? No, the first time I had ever seen it was, in
0: fact, sitting in the movie theater watching this film in 2013 when it came out.
1: Yeah, so essentially it's basically hide and go seek, except the seeker is blindfolded and they can call out. And have the hiders clap um, three different times, and that will give away your position, so they can find you. So seems yes. like a fun game. Kids play yeah. games, so
0: yeah. The objective: you hear the clap, you try to track down the sound, and yeah, you get you get three claps, and then you have to find somebody. Mm-hmm. So the kids are playing the clapping game, and one of them goes to hide in a closet, and she crashes through a board, and they realize, hey, there's a cellar here that's been boarded up.
1: I mean, extra square footage, right? You, you get a whole nother room down there. <laughs> That's a good thing for a homeowner, isn't it, Trent? Or is it? We
0: will find out later. <laughs> <laughs> but the next morning, the mom, Carolyn, she wakes up and there's a big bruise on her leg. The house is freezing cold. And one of the kids says, it smells like something died in her room last night. Then Carolyn walks down the stairs. They have a big grandfather clock and it's frozen at 3:07 a.m. She walks to the kitchen and the clock in
1: there it's also frozen at frozen at 3:07. That's weird. What's going on here? That is weird. Um, you know, no explanation obviously for now, but what a <laughs> coincidence. <cawinky-deak. laughs> but yeah, it, it is a coincidence. What's going on? Yeah, all those signs, you know, okay, it's it's an old farmhouse, you know, it's going to be drafty. It's going to be cold in the morning. Not a big deal. Uh smelling something. Um again, Old house could have been a rat in the wall. You you know, all these things seem normal. Um, The clock's not so normal, but, you know, nothing, nothing big is happening so far. Right.
0: Until April, the youngest one comes downstairs and she wants to go play with the dog, Sadie. So she goes outside to play with the dog and. uh Oh, she lets out a big shriek because Sadie is dead.
1: Yeah. Poor Sadie. Um, we don't really get an explanation to how she was dead. It looked like she was on a leash. It looked like she might've, um, you know, strangled herself, but you know, we, we, we said it at the very first episode of body count. If you weren't with us for Halloween, that animals don't count toward the body count. So we're still at zero, but, um, you know, RIP to the family dog. Yes.
0: So from there we cut and we go to Ed and Lorraine Warren's house and We see they have a room full of haunted or possessed items. Ed is giving a tour to a writer. And there we see Annabelle in a glass case that the Warrens have uh, have confiscated and locked away.
1: Yeah, there's a sign on there that says, like, do not touch no matter what or or something like that. So
0: (laughs) they very much want to keep Annabelle locked up. (laughs) And we also find out that the Warrens have a daughter. Judy.
1: Yeah. You know, they seem, um, I don't know if, if I was just going to read the synopsis of this, um, and I was thinking about two people that go around and, um, you know, are demonologists and stuff. You'd think they're kind of weird, but they seem like a normal family, normal people, right?
0: Yeah. Just have a very interesting job.
1: <laughs> it's a very interesting job. You know, our jobs don't define us all the time. Do they?
0: <laughs> well, no.
1: Um, but <laughs> In case, yes,
0: yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes. Uh, Meanwhile, back at the parents house, Roger sees there's a door that's like opening and closing on its own. And then he hears a banging and Cindy is sleepwalking and there's a like a wardrobe, like a giant old style wardrobe that has been left behind from the previous owners. And she is banging her head against it. So Roger is. You know, you're not supposed to awaken someone who's sleepwalking. So you can see they've gone through this before. He, you know, places his hand between her head and the the wardrobe, so she'll stop banging it and you know, picks her up and carries her back to bed.
1: Yeah, so you know, sleepwalkers. I feel like everybody might has probably had an episode before. This one was a little freaky. I think he even mentioned, like, she's never done this before, but anyway, they guide her back to sleep. All seems good.
0: By the way, we we haven't mentioned this yet. Roger is played by Ron Livingston of Office Space
1: fame. <laughs> yeah, I like the casting here for, for Roger. Uh, totally wouldn't ex- expect in yeah. this role, but... At all. So, anyhow,
0: uh Carolyn discovers yet another bruise on her back, and uh, April, uh, we see April is in her room, and she's talking to somebody, and Carolyn comes in and s- and, you know, she's having tea. She's like, oh, who are you having tea with? And we all think it's her imaginary friend. Mm-hmm. And she tells her mom, oh, it's my new friend, Rory. And she, in fact, tells her mom, if you look in the music box, when the song ends, if you look over your shoulder,
1: you can see Rory. Okay, creepy. If The, the music box is creepy, just in general. Like you said, you described it as like a jack-in-the-box music box. So we get a look at that. There is a mirror that has like a spiral pattern and it and it turns. So it's it's just a weird who invented this thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Carolyn starts to slowly turn it. The scene is played up for all of its intensity and Cindy spooks her and there is no Rory. What a what a funny joke. Yeah, uh, I said, so. Cindy, I'm in April.
1: So, yeah, I mean, you know, great job. April, you scared your mom. Um, but we 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 can sense something's going on. I mean, where is she getting these bruises from, Carol? You know, Carolyn, right? Yep. But so now, uh, April and her mom decide they're going to play
0: the clapping game. So April's going to go hide, and mom is going to be the seeker here. So April goes, she hides. Mom calls for the first clap, and she eventually makes her way to the room with the wardrobe, where. She calls for the third and final clap, and we see the wardrobe open on its own, and some ghostly hands appear and provide the third clap. Now, since she is blindfolded, Carolyn doesn't see any of this. She just thinks it's April, so she starts feeling around the wardrobe, and she can't find her, so eventually she takes her blindfold off. She's like, where is she? And then April comes running in. Ha ha, you weren't even close. I wasn't even in this room. And Caroline is freaked out because she's like, I know I heard a clap right in front of me.
1: Yeah. And we saw the freaking ghost hands come out of the wardrobe, too. So I'm also freaked out. <laughs> um, there's obviously something wrong with that wardrobe. Um, you know, Cindy in the middle of the night was sleepwalking into it. Um, the hands came out of it. Um, I'm going to keep my eye on that wardrobe. <laughs> That's a good idea. I don't think Narnia is back there. <laughs> right.
0: So meanwhile, that night, one of the other kids, Christine, is sleeping in bed and we see her body is physically jerked forward by her legs. And so she accuses her her sister, uh, Nancy, of doing it. But Nancy is sound asleep. So Christine looks over and sees Nancy's asleep. She's like, "Uh oh, and she looks over and we don't see anything, but we see sheer terror on her face and she begins to cry and she quietly wakes up nancy she like yells for her and nancy wakes up and she's like and um i should say christine asks nancy do you see it and nancy's like i don't see anything and she says there's a ghost in the corner and christine doesn't see it and all of a sudden the door slams by itself. So here come Roger and uh, Carolyn and they rush into the room to try to comfort Christine and they sell her. There's nothing there. And she says, no, there was a ghost. And she told me she wants my family dead.
1: Boom. Um, yeah. What the heck? First of all, this is pretty good because twice now they're building up for a scare that doesn't come through. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, okay, like, I know something's going on, but now I don't know when something's going to happen. So, and I'm going to talk all about the scares in this, but um, I don't know. I was relieved that they didn't see anything. (laughs) (laughs) They are
0: very much building the suspense, right? They've they've given us uh, enough to know that there are actually ghosts. This is a real haunting, but they're not cluing the family in just yet. So it's it's a good job of filmmaking. For sure. Uh, meanwhile, though the Warrens are investigating another case, and they tell these people, "Oh, this is nothing." So we're establishing that the Warrens—they're not some nut jobs who just believe every story told their way. They always look for a practical solution as to what is causing a, a supposed haunting. So I think this was very important character establishment by the filmmakers.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um... Like I said, you know, when they're giving their, you know, presentation, um, it gives them credibility. This gives them credibility that, hey, look, they're not just going to go in and presumably take your money. Um, they're always going to find for an explanation of why you think your house is haunted. Um, it seems like nine times out of ten, maybe more, that it's you know something that they can explain. Um, but they also keep hinting at something that something happened to Lorraine recently. Yeah, so they've hinted at it three times by this point. So we don't know what that is yet, but again, see, this is why James Wan does such a good job. I get so sucked into his movies that I'm like already 100% invested. (laughs) So meanwhile,
0: back at the parents' house, Roger has had to take a work assignment. So he is gone for a week, leaving Carolyn to watch over the kids by herself. And she's discovered yet another bruise on her body. What's going on here? And she starts hearing some sounds. And she's like, kids, it's way past your bedtime. Like, who's up right now? And as she stands at the top of the staircase, all of the pictures fall off the wall and shatter. And then she hears a clap. Like the clapping <laughs> game. <laughs> so then she makes her way downstairs. And the cellar door opens. So she makes her way inside and she yells, whoever's down there, I'm going to shut the door and lock you in until the police come. And as she turns to leave, the door slams in her face, knocking her down the stairs. And now she is trapped in the cellar and she thinks someone's in there and she's waiting and she's waiting and she's waiting. And then all of a sudden a ball, gets thrown from across the room and she freaks out. She gets up to run the light bulb in the room explodes. So now it's in total darkness and we hear a child laughing. And then we see Carolyn lights a match. It burns out. So she lights a second one and we hear a voice say, Hey, want to play hide and clap? And then a pair of hands. Here, right beside her face, and give her a nice clap.
1: Oh my gosh. This is not a good situation for Carolyn or the rest of the family. I mean, first of all, that cellar, there's obviously something going on down there. It opened up like an invitation. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah, just, 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 I'm not, I'm not feeling good right now. (laughs) I'm just not feeling good. This is, uh, this is probably the
0: signature scare of this movie um it was in all the trailers um i know sitting in the movie theater that was when i was like okay i'm totally in
1: on this movie
0: (laughs) so this 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 clap right here was this was good
1: stuff oh yeah it was totally unexpected it was like right by her face um yeah and just so she's she's illuminating the latch right or she she's she struck the match Um, So we can only see her face lit up. And yeah, those those hands appear like out of complete darkness. So, um, yeah, really good. Really good shot.
0: So meanwhile, while all of this is going on upstairs, Cindy is sleepwalking and banging her head against the wardrobe yet again. So Andrea, whose room it's in, gets up. And she does just like her dad did. You know, she places her hand and she slowly pulls her back. She doesn't awake her. She's like, well, I guess you're going to sleep with me tonight. And she puts her in her bed. And the wardrobe starts banging from the inside. So Andrea slowly makes her way to the wardrobe. And this is the payoff they've been setting us up for. <laughs> because right when she gets to the wardrobe, she looks up. And on top of the wardrobe is a ghostly woman who jumps down and attacks.
1: Oh, gosh. Um, So creepy. The creepy lady. um, I don't even know what this lady wants, but it's horrifying. And so there's not only is Carolyn locked in the basement, banging and terrified. There's another thing going on upstairs. It's just happening all over this house.
0: Yes. So luckily, this is the exact moment. Roger <laughs> returns from his work trip, so he lets Carolyn out of the cellar, and they hear Andrea shrieking upstairs, so they race upstairs, and they pound into to the room, and Andrea is, like, rolling on the floor by herself.
1: Yeah, so Andrea is driving around on the floor. Something is attacking her, but we can't see what's going on, and then we just get a quick cut to black, and we get another title card.
0: Yes, and we've seen the Warrens are now giving another speech about a fella named Maurice. And if you're curious about Maurice, check out The Nun, because this whole story is covered in the spinoff film, The Nun.
1: Okay, that's good to know. I like it, you know.
0: Some people call me Maurice. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is not the space cowboy. Oh, okay. But the Warren speech are about the three stages of possession. There's first the station where the spirit, you know, uh, comes upon you or whatever. Then there's the oppression, where the spirit starts playing games with you. And the final stage is possession, where they take control. And as they're giving this speech, who should be sitting in the crowd but Carolyn? And Hmm. then we see out in the parking lot, the Warrens are loading up their car, and Carolyn begs them. Please come check out my house. Like we are absolutely experiencing a possession and the Warrens agree.
1: Yeah. Reluctantly at first, because Ed is still being protective over Lorraine. And again, we don't know why yet, Um, but you know, they agree to go take a look, you know, thinking that, Oh, this will just be another, you know, creaky old house and they can be on their way quickly. But as they get in there, Lorraine, is sensing something from the beginning, isn't she?
0: Yes. So they arrive, and the whole family has moved into the living room because they're all too (laughs) scared to A, be alone, and B, be anywhere else in the house. So they they, being the Warrens, take a tour of the house, and Lorraine makes her way to the cellar, and she tells Ed, something really bad happened here. And then that music box comes back into play because now it's Lorraine's turn to play <laughs> with the music box and she turns it and turns it. And when she gets to the end, we see the ghostly shadow of a boy in the background over her shoulder, but she turns around and no one's there.
1: Uh Oh, so there's definitely something wrong with this house, man.
0: So then Lorraine makes her way outside uh, towards the lake, where there's a giant tree, and she sees a vision of someone hanging from the tree. And so the Warrens say, "Yeah, this place needs an exorcism. We're not done. <laughs> this is this is not like some minor. Like we need the big guns here, right? And they explain to the parents that, well, leaving the house wouldn't really accomplish much for you guys because you see." The house isn't being possessed. You guys are.
1: Yeah, this one, this one was like, a, oh crap. Because my first thing I'm always going to say is, you know, GTFO, bro, get out of the house. Kind of like I tried to do with Insidious, right? Just, just move. I think we're safe now. But um, nope. Uh, yeah, they explained that yeah, it's not really the house that's haunted. I mean, the house, the house obviously has some, some, some baggage. Yeah. But um, now that that infestation and oppression is happening, um, next. Stage would be possession and and they're already well into stage two i think aren't they yes and ed gives a great analogy
0: he says it's like gum on your shoe you can leave but the gum is still going to be with you yeah great job ed so the warrens start doing some research and they find out that a witch named bethsheba used to own the house and back in the 1800s she sacrificed her seven day old child. And as she was caught, she ran out and she hung herself from the tree at three o seven 7 AM.
1: Yeah. And I think she like proclaimed her allegiance to Satan or something too. Well, naturally, if you're going to sacrifice <laughs> your baby, you're sacrificing it to Satan. I mean, I mean, gosh. So um, yeah, just, just not a good situation there.
0: Yeah. And Lorraine has discovered that throughout the years, it's been about a hundred and what, 108 years since then, uh, several people have died on the property. There was a boy that drowned, some lady committed suicide, there was a maid that died. Yeah. All kinds of people dropping dead on this place.
1: Yeah, which is interesting. They also explained that um, that property used to be a, a, a much larger property, a farm, um, like a proper farm, you know, with lots of acreage, and they parceled it up into, um, you know, different different plots for different people to live. And on those different properties, there were these occurrences of bad things happening and tragedies. So, um, yeah, they don't want people on their dang farm. <laughs> they do not. So the Warrens
0: say, "Okay, we need to do this exorcism, but in order to get permission from the church to do a proper exorcism, we have to provide proof. So to do this, they bring in some help. They bring in a police officer named Brad, who is a skeptic. Mm-hmm. And they bring in uh, their guy who's kind of like their assistant named Drew, who knows how to like run all their equipment and stuff. So they set up various cameras and audio recording uh, devices throughout the house.
1: Yeah, um, you know, gave, gave me a little bit of I I don't know, flashback, whatever you would call it, kind of like Insidious, where it's a kind of similar situation. They come in, they set up, um, this is much, you know, lower tech since we're in the 70s at this point. But yeah, they set up some like Polaroid cameras, and um, they have some UV lights, some really um, early on kind of equipment that you know could hopefully monitor these strange occurrences.
0: So soon enough, wouldn't you know it, that cellar door comes open on its own once again. So everyone makes their way downstairs, and Ed is like saying, "You know, come out, reveal yourself." Nothing happens. So they make their way out, and behind them. The seller slams behind them. But Brad is talking to Drew and says, I'm still a skeptic. Like, it was just a draft. Besides, it's 3.08 a.m. and the clocks are still working.
1: Yeah. Um, Brad's not a believer now. Just wait, Brad. You might be a believer soon.
0: So we move forward to the next day. Lorraine is doing some uh, laundry. And again, since this is the early 70s, we don't have any washing machines. Oh, no. You hang your clothes out on a line to let them dry.
1: Okay. The washing machine was invented, but they just don't have one.
0: Details. (laughs) I don't know how widespread they were in 1971. I think pretty widespread. I'm sure they had laundry. I don't know. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Not in rural Connecticut i guess so so anyway so lorraine is hanging a sheet and we see the sheet flies off from the clips it briefly forms the shape of a body and then flies up into the upstairs window and where the sheet flies away lorraine sees that same ghost that attacked andrea earlier is now standing in the window
1: yeah, so, and she's like, immediately, I got to get up there, right? Yes. So
0: Lorraine takes off for for inside the house. But back inside the house, we see yet more bruises appearing on Carolyn. And then Beth Sheba attacks.
1: <laughs>
0: and we see she mounts Carolyn in the bed and she like sticks her tongue down her throat and she like does some like stuff. That <laughs> was a, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and. Lorraine races inside, screaming for Carolyn, and Carolyn comes out of the bathroom and says, oh, I'm fine. So what in the wide, wide world of sports just happened, Graham?
1: Um, I mean, I can't say definitively, but it seemed like Bathsheba was possessing. Are you saying this might have been stage three? I think this was safe. I mean, I had it as she like spit blood into her mouth. Like it it was was like, that was
0: the end I was
1: talking about. (laughs) Yeah. It was very gross. And yeah. And you know, she comes out and you can tell like she seems feverish or sick. I don't know. I don't even know. She didn't look good. And she's like, no, I'm fine. Oh, is that, is that Roger right here down there? I got to go check on them and the kids. And so Lorraine is just like, okay, do your thing. So back outside, Ed and
0: Roger are having a conversation, and Ed finally reveals what's been wrong with Lorraine, and he, we see a brief flashback to that whole Maurice thing, and he says, you know, Maurice got a hold of her, she had a really bad experience, and she just hasn't been the same ever since, that it took a lot out of her.
1: Yeah, yeah, he, exactly. He explains that, um, you know, with with each of these um, exorcisms or, or times that, that they perform these things to rid um, families and other people of evil spirits, uh, it takes a little piece of Lorraine. So this one was the worst so far. He said when she got back, she locked herself in a room for eight days. It didn't come out, didn't talk, didn't eat. So that last one, he's, you know... To Ed's credit, if that would have happened to, you know, you, you'd be like a little bit hesitant to let her back in that situation, right?
0: Yeah. So back inside the house, our friend Brad, Mr. Skeptic, mm-hmm. sees the spirit of that maid who we were talking about earlier, who shows him her wrist that are they're both slit, and she says, Look what she made me do. And Brad begins to follow the ghost, and uh, you know. All of a sudden, he's not so skeptical anymore.
1: Yeah, he calls out to Ed, and then we get, like, which might be the, the biggest jump scare so far, if not of the movie. <laughs> and um, the maid is right in Brad's face. Look what you made me. she made me do. And it was like, oh, crap. He's calling out for Ed. I yes. think he believes now.
0: <laughs> yeah, no more skepticism here. <laughs> so
1: now, back upstairs, and Cindy is sleepwalking
0: yet again. And she makes her way to the wardrobe and they can't find her. They're looking around. They like turn off the lights and uh, Ed gets this UV light out and he's looking through the floor, like trying to find like a secret compartment or something, looking for handprints or feet print or whatever, trying to find some like secret hiding way or something in the floor. And eventually he makes his way to the wardrobe. And wouldn't you know it there in the corner, There is like a hidden passageway inside the wardrobe and there Cindy is
1: tucked inside. Yeah. It's like a little false, false backing, false wall into the crawl space there. And um, I mean, how many more tricks does this house have up its sleeves? (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
0: So now Lorraine comes onto the scene and there's like a, like a piece of rope there that she starts pulling on and pulling and pulling. And eventually she pulls it out and realizes it's a noose.
1: Yeah. Is it the noose? Yeah. I would think it's the noose that Beth Sheba killed herself with. Yeah. Why not burn that, that piece of rope. Um, But yeah, it's, it's in the house and that's not a good sign. Lorraine has the
0: music box with her and all of a sudden she crashes through the floor of the secret compartment falls all the way down to the cellar, takes a gnarly landing and she grabs the music box and she starts playing it. And she sees multiple ghosts now all surrounding her and the uh, Ed and the rest of the family. They eventually track her down to the cellar and Lorraine has figured out what is going on. Bethsheba is possessing. Carolyn every night and that's where all those bruises are coming from but before anybody has much time to react or process this all of a sudden in the room right next to them Nancy is grabbed by some kind of spirit that we can't see and she's being thrown to and fro all all across the room
1: yeah like I mean you kind of nailed it like before we have a chance to exhale um, all hell starts breaking loose again Um, Yeah, Nancy's being dragged around by her hair. Um, Lorraine, she's pretty quick thinking, um, cuts her hair so that whatever's grabbing her can't drag her around anymore. And it's like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So the parents, they decide enough's enough. They're leaving, even though they've already been told, you know, it's not really going to accomplish much, you leaving. They're still going to take their chances. So they, they head out, and Ed's like, okay, I've got to get this film developed so we can get it to the church and we can get this exorcism approved.
1: Yeah, so, what happened to, um, you know, what's the saying, Trent? Um, act now and ask for forgiveness later or something? like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Yeah, there you go. There's one. Yeah, so, um, but, you know, we learned that they do need an actual priest. Yes, we because- and-
0: They're not members of the church, so the Warrens aren't actually certified or qualified to perform the exorcism on their own. They need an actual Catholic priest.
1: Yeah, so naturally Ed's got to show him the tape and be like, hey, this is what we saw. We need you.
0: But meanwhile, while Ed is talking to Roger, Lorraine once again is out by the lake and she sees floating in the lake a vision of their daughter Judy. So she freaks out. She runs back inside, calls home where her mom is watching Judy. And she says, no, Judy's perfectly fine. And then we get a little scene where the Warrens show the footage to a, a, a priest. And he's like, look, you know, it's it's complicated because the parents, they're not members of the church. The kids haven't been baptized. But I will talk to the Vatican myself and get this approved because I've never seen anything like this.
1: Yeah, I just put, you know, he agrees he's going to get it pushed through, even though this is a family of heathens. (laughs) (laughs) So back at the Warren's house
0: now, we see their daughter, Judy, wakes up and she makes her way out of her bedroom and the room full of haunted items, the door standing wide open. So the camera goes inside the room and we see
1: inside the glass case. Annabelle's gone I told you Annabelle was going to be back in this one
0: so Judy (laughs) then sees this like big black like I don't know what you would call it um it's just like a
1: shadow kind of like a a big
0: black shadow like rushing toward her. so she runs back to her do to her room she slams the door behind her there's pounding at the door and then she turns around and in a rocking chair There's a spirit, presumably Bathsheba, rocking the Annabelle doll. And the doll slowly turns its head to look at Judy as Judy is yelling for help. Nana, please come save me. But this is right when Ed and Lorraine make their return. They race inside. They hear Judy screaming. They get the door open right as the rocking chair flies across the room and smashes to pieces right where Judy had been standing moments before.
1: Okay, yeah. So whatever spirits they are, it's not just inhabiting that farmhouse. I mean, they're spreading their wings, man.
0: Yes, because I should say that when uh, Lorraine... Fell through to the cellar a while back. That she had a matching necklace that she ha- that she had with Judy. Her necklace got caught and hung up in the cellar. And so when we see Judy uh, has the matching necklace, and presumably that's how this is possible. Yeah,
1: that's the portal. Yeah, that's what I was assuming too.
0: So she uh, she uh, tells her parents, you know, there was some somebody rocking Annabelle. So Ed goes inside the room and checks it out. Annabelle's in the case. It's like nothing
1: ever happened. And I'm relieved to see Annabelle back in in the case. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, Oh, thank God. She's back in there. Don't let her out again. So
0: we see, uh, the parents are now at a hotel. Roger has gone to pick up some food and he gets back and the kids tell her, uh, mommy took Christine and April and she left. So Roger Calls Ed and tells him, hey, uh, you know, she uh, Carolyn left and she took two of the girls with her and Ed's like, get back to the house right now. We are on our way. So then Ed and Lorraine have a mini argument. Ed doesn't want Lorraine to come because of what happened and she's like, there's no way I can let you do this by yourself. So Ed reluctantly agrees. And the warrants take off together and Drew is back at the house as well. He's been He's been left behind. He's been uh, kind of guarding it this whole time. But uh, they all meet up. Brad, the cop, is with them and they find Carolyn attacking Christine. So they all rush in. They save Christine. Uh, Drew takes her, puts her in the car, tells her, No matter what happens, do not leave this car. But April is missing. They cannot find her. So Drew goes to look for April, while everyone else ties Carolyn up to
1: a chair. Yeah, she's full-on possessed at this point. Um, and, it, by the way, in the struggle, our buddy Brad
0: takes one to the cheek as she bites a big hunk of flesh out of him.
1: Yeah, she's acting like, you know, a freaking possessed human, just a superhuman strength. seemingly. Yes. Um, she's they, like they, taking
0: down Ed, who's a, you know, it's a grown man.
1: Yeah, Ed, Brad's a big guy too. Um, yeah, they throw a sheet over her, tie her, I don't know if they tie her or handcuff her to that, to that chair, but it's like, okay, good. Um, but, you know, this is just full-on possession at this point.
0: So at this point, the Warrens decide, we we can't wait for the church. We got to do this now. So Ed decides to perform his first ever exorcism on his own. And we cut outside, and we see a huge swath of birds circling the house. They're like flying into various windows. One even flies through the car window, where poor yeah. uh, Christine is, is sitting by herself. Uh, so this is all very creepy. And Ed performing the exorcism, we see like Carolyn like spits blood onto the sheet. So Roger is begging at the stop. When all of a sudden the sheet like slits. And through the hole, we could see that's not Carolyn. That's Bathsheba
1: inside. And Roger's like, do you think? Do you think? Yeah, he's like, all right, keep going. Keep going. Um, yeah, this is all just, I mean, if you haven't seen the movie already, you got to see this. It's so hard to explain through words. There is just, it's complete chaos and um, just suspense, insanity. Yeah, crazy.
0: So as Ed gives a command to reveal yourself, All of a sudden, everything stops. The room goes quiet. The birds stop flying around. Everything's peaceful, but just for a moment. Because all of a sudden, Caroline levitates in the chair. And it slowly flips upside down. It starts banging on the roof. (laughs) And Ed yells, let her go and we hear a voice that says it's it's Bethsheba and she said she's already gone and now you're all going to die because the chair drops crashes the chair breaks and so now Bethsheba is free all of a sudden Brad's gun shoots at them they duck out of the <laughs> way and while all this chaos is happening in the cellar back upstairs in the kitchen Drew has found like a hidden compartment underneath the kitchen table where April is. So uh, he's like yelling everybody. Hey, I found April. I found April. So they take off running towards this hidden compartment, but Carolyn slash Beth Sheba gets there first and she gets a hold of April and she's preparing to sacrifice her child. Just like Beth Sheba did all those years ago. And Lorraine places her hand on Carolyn and begs her to remember, begs her to fight. Roger is yelling, you know, like, honey, come on, you're stronger than her. And eventually we see Carolyn breaks and she's back. Bathsheba has been vanquished and Carolyn is back to normal. She can walk outside, you know, everything's fine. All of a sudden, and that's it. The possession is gone. And here comes little April. She gives Lorraine her necklace back and that's it. That's the last we see of the parents.
1: Yeah. It seems like a a happy ending. The families are united. They're all embracing each other outside the home. Um, You know, Carolyn fought through Ed performed his first exorcism um, with the help of Lorraine, obviously. I think she had a, you know, a big, a big to do when she placed her hand on uh, Carolyn's head and, um yeah, total total team team win there, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Think? <laughs> so now back at the Warrens house, uh, they have taken possession of the music box. They put it on one of the shelves in that 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 haunted room or whatever. We get an Ed Warren quote on screen, and the music box begins to play, and credits roll. Ooh. And it's worth noting in the credits, we see pictures of the actual Perrin family and the actual Warren family.
1: Yeah, I thought that was cool. So you know, further solidifying this is based on a on a true story, right? Um, so I have a couple bloody bits. Uh, let me know when you want me to get to them, or if you just want my initial thoughts first, and then we'll yeah, go to the let's bloody hear,
0: bits. Let's hear your thoughts.
1: Okay, so um, I, in my notes, I wrote, "Wow, this movie is scary." Um. But Trent, I also noticed no body count.
0: Yes. That is correct, folks. Zero. You did not hear a single bell ding throughout that entire recap. For the first time in the history of this show, the body count
1: is zero. It's a zero body count, which is um which is interesting. Um but yeah, my thoughts. So the scare factor for me, this was a ten out of ten. I was terrified during this. Um, you know, a lot of movies You'll get, you know, small moments of horror. You'll get those jump scares that I love to hate um, or hate to love. I don't know which one it is. Um, and then you get a climax that, that, you know, tends to last, you know, 10, 15 minutes, right? I don't know how long that last act last, like, was in, as far as like duration, but it felt like a long <laughs> time. There was a lot going on.
0: There was a lot <laughs> um, going on there.
1: There was a lot going on. It was very chaotic. It, it seemed, um, yeah, it just seemed like it wouldn't end, so. Um, I liked it a lot. Um, I'm you know, even willing to call James Wan the new master of suspense, right? I wow. mean, he's, he's killing it here. Um, yeah. I'm late to the party on this movie, but absolutely nailed it. Um, that and Insidious that James Wan did. Uh, we talked about Saw as well. I don't put Saw up in the same category as far as scares, uh, but it is an interesting and good film. Um, but yeah, also really, really enjoyed this. Um, one thing I did note is, so when it kind of started, I put a note, like sometimes this type of horror film where it's like demonic possession or divine stuff in general, I tend to feel can sometimes be a little bit of a cop-out, right? Because they don't really have to explain much. They can just say, oh, demons, or it's the devil, and um, you know what I mean? And it's they don't really have to go into the explanation, but this one kind of changed my mind on that. I really enjoyed it. I was okay with the premise. I bought into the whole, um, you know, demonic and and you know, religious affiliation to it. How, um, how the Warrens are, and um, yeah, so very pleased. Very much enjoyed this movie.
0: Yeah, I like I said from the. I mean, to me, for the 2010s decade, I have this as my number two favorite horror film behind only Hereditary. I just absolutely love this film. Um, I'm happy that it has spawned uh, such a big franchise. It's like the Marvel Cinematic Universe of, of horror <laughs> yeah. movies because it has splintered off in so many different directions. There's the Annabelle trilogy, there's mm-hmm. the Nun, there's the Curse of La Llorona, there's the Crooked Man, which is in development. It's like, and and then we every few years we get a proper Conjuring film. So it really is like. If the Conjuring films are the equivalent of the Avenger films, all the other stuff
1: is like you know the the individual superheroes. So I, I yeah. think that's kind of cool. I think that's cool too. Um, I'm always a big fan when when you can uh, you know extend extend the universe of, of films that were really good. Like I said, I really enjoyed this, so I'm really interested to dive into some of the other ones. Um, like you said, and the reason why we're doing it is Conjuring the Devil maybe do it. Just is, got released last week. Yeah, it's out
0: now. You can go watch it on HBO Max. And by the way, yeah. the whole franchise is on HBO. I, like, <laughs> I'm like. i a Disney employee. I gain nothing from promoting HBO Max. But <laughs> if you're interested, go check it out. Literally, all the films are there.
1: Yeah, I watched it on HBO Max um, as well. I'm, I'm pleased to know that the other ones are on there so I can go watch them. All right, Graham, you said you had some bloody bits. Let's hear them. Yeah, I do have some bloody bits here. Um Okay, so did you know Trent and I don't I don't know if you knew, but like you said it's based on a true story. The parent fame was real. And in fact, the pair, the real parent family actually visited the set of the film.
0: Ooh, I did not know that they actually came and visited the set. That's very interesting.
1: Yeah, they visited the set. Um the the crew built um which they said was basically like almost exactly like the original home. I thought that was interesting as well. Um, cool to involve the uh, the parent family there. Um, another thing you mentioned a couple of different times uh, the haunted room or however you want to say that, where they have their uh, their tokens and stuff from uh, the different demonic possessions they've seen. So the Warrens, the real life Warrens, really do have a museum of those creepy things uh they began collecting um uh their research in 1952 and they at one point decided to open a museum in the early 1980s after their collection of haunted objects began to accumulate so the warren occult museum is a real thing it is housed in the basement of the warren's actual home in monroe connecticut and it's full of those ancient artifacts and images taken from their case trent is that ever something that you want to go visit
0: I would totally check that out. That sounds awesome.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it sounds really cool. Um, Apparently, they've got things in there, like an organ that plays itself. Um, They've got a mirror that is said to summon spirits, a coffin owned by a modern vampire. Um, Also, to keep the evil at bay, a local priest does come by once a month to bless everything. Very interesting. So, yeah, there you go. The Warren Occult Museum is a real thing. So um, I just you know, was kind of delighted to hear that. I was like, oh, that's cool. Now, speaking of the
0: Warrens, Graham, do you happen to know what real-life case that the Warrens are probably most famous for being investigators for? I do know, but I want you to tell us. How about the haunting of the Amityville Horror? That's right. That whole Amityville Horror thing? The Warrens were the ones who looked into it.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. Um, yeah, Amityville Horror. How many movies have they done on that? Um, oh God, I have no idea. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, one of the most famous haunted houses in American history, right?
0: Yeah, and it's interesting to me that the Conjuring franchise has avoided the Amityville Horror. They're looking at the Warrens' other cases instead of, you know, the one that's been you know done a million times already. So that's right. I think that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I think that's cool as well. Um, another bloody bit I have here is, so you talked about um, during the uh, the recap that there was a, I know Lorraine mentions that there was like a number of deaths on that property. Well, in fact, um, I have some, some real life stats on that, okay? Oh, let's hear that. All right. So um, it says eight generations of families lived and died in that house before the parents moved in. You know, old farmhouse northeast. Um, gosh, a lot of the houses in Texas couldn't be even be around that long to have eight generations, right? But you know, it goes back a long time. Um, so Andrea Parent suggested that some of the spirits from the families never left. Um, some of those deaths that happened. So a bunch of mysterious deaths um, have happened on the property. Um, those include two documented suicides, a poisoning death. Um, this one's pretty bad. The rape and murder of an 11-year-old girl. Two, yeah, bad. Two drownings and the passing of four men who froze to death. So, just Whoa. on that property, um a lot of death that have been recorded there. Um untimely deaths, not just, you know, old age deaths. So,
0: well, it's interesting you speak about the actual house because I saw something interesting about the real house as well, which is that the current owners uh they bought the house in 1987, they said that they lived there completely peacefully for 25 years until this movie came out and then all <laughs> of a sudden the house kept
1: getting vandalized and they had to the sue Warner Brothers. Wow, interesting. Well, vandalized in what way? Just people just you know people, throwing rocks and yeah, stuff? Yeah,
0: said numerous invasions and there a bunch of satanic cult stuff started showing up on the property. Yeah. So it's- They sued Warner Brothers for unspecified damages. Interesting. So
1: set out of court, I'm assuming.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then also, uh, speaking of Warner Brothers, that was not the only legal trouble they had. Because you see, back in 1980, there was an author named Gerald Brittle, who wrote a book about the Warrens. And part of the contract he had with the Warrens was that he had the option to make any uh any media projects about them well obviously this is a project about them and well you see Warner Brothers didn't exactly have Mr. Brittle's uh participation or agreement so Gerald Brittle sued Warner Brothers and settled out of court I imagine Mr. Brittle got a nice little check to go
1: away (laughs) yeah I guess so um I mean is that a good segue into how well this did at the box office I would say so, because I think whatever the check that
0: Warner Brothers cut was worth it, Graham. Why don't you tell them the numbers?
1: It was totally worth it, I would imagine. So um, in horror movie fashion, uh, this movie has a relatively small budget of only $20 million. That's just the production budget. Which is actually kind of big for a horror movie. Yeah, production budget, decent size. Um, Box office gross. This film alone... $319.5 $319.5 million at the box office.
0: Yeah. So box office performance alone, it made 16 times its budget. Then you have to think of DVDs and Blu-rays and digital. Uh, this movie has made
1: a fortune. Yeah, it absolutely has. I mean, and you mentioned it before. It spawned, um, what is that, seven other films to date? So far. And they're yeah. going to keep coming. Yeah, they're going to keep coming. Um, So you got to think this is a billion-dollar franchise at this point, right? I'm sure you have the numbers there, but yeah. So I liked it. You liked it. It did well at the box office,
0: so the fans liked it. But, Graham, did the critics like it? It's time for your favorite part of the show. You've (laughs) got to guess the tomato meter.
1: All right. I'm not going to give this one much thought. I'm going to give this one like a 65. That, sir, would be... Low
0: because Ooh. The Conjuring with 223 reviews
1: is certified fresh with an 86% Very pretty good. darn solid for a horror film. I'd say so. Um, especially one that, like, on the surface isn't really like new territory, right? Um, demonic possession, exorcism, yeah. haunted house. Um, but they managed to tell a to me, like, A very very well thought out you know pretty unique story there
0: so as far as uh other topics to discuss i mean we've talked about james wan plenty um i don't think there's much to add to that conversation other than just another superb job from him so i I don't think we need to retread that territory too much graham yeah i agree so let's talk about the cast vera formiga as lorraine
1: warren Hey, I'm a big fan of hers. Um, you know, I liked her in The Departed. She's um, she's a good actress. I thought she. You know, I found myself one little criticism. I found myself wanting more for her from her. Um, I thought it was more Patrick Wilson's movie. Um, so anyway, she was serviceable. I haven't seen the other ones. Maybe she. Um, you know, has has a little bit more. But they kind of they kind of left her. Um, her abilities a little bit uh, mysterious, you know, they kind of hinted at some of those things that happened to her. So um, I'm hoping in the next one, she has more, um, more going on, but I thought she was fine. I I didn't think she was, she was good or bad. I'll give her uh, like a B.
0: Well, you said this was Patrick Wilson's movie. How did you think he did?
1: uh, Dude, I'm becoming a huge Patrick Wilson fan. Um, I thought he did a great job as Ed Warren. Um, Totally different than his, than his character in insidious. I thought, and really Um, You know, he's a little more mild manner in this. Um, This is the good little quick into uh, my last bloody bit, Trent, is I just saw an article um, this past week. The headline read, Patrick Wilson, Scream King. I wanted to know your thoughts. I
0: mean, so I get what they're going for by calling him that. But the idea of a scream queen, someone like, uh, say, um, Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis. She's actively screaming. She's the one being haunted. That's not what Patrick Wilson ever does. Patrick Wilson's never like the one being haunted. Like he's he's fighting the the you know whatever the 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 mystical force is. So I see what they're going for, and that he has established himself as a leading man in the horror genre. But. The verbiage isn't exactly accurate.
1: Okay. I think I would agree with that too. Um, but he he is, you know, one of the leads in this franchise who we talked about this. I think they that was the fourth film or was that the third film that just came out? The Devil Made Me Do It. Uh, that'd be number three. Number three. And then there's three insidious films to date with Four. the fourth one coming or the fourth one's already out. Yeah, if there's a fifth one coming. Fifth one coming. I think he's going to direct that one too. Um, I mean, just there—that's seven movies in in the past, um, you know, less than twenty years that that have been very well received at the box office. So I get what they're going for. I too kind of agree that you know he's he's not the the one being chased or stalked or haunted like Jamie Lee Curtis or or um, uh, the any of the straight. hundreds of teenagers
0: from uh, yeah from the Friday <laughs> of the Thirteenth movies,
1: right. Um, So moving on,
0: Ron Livingston. I mentioned this earlier, Ron Livingston as Roger Perrin. I just thought it was very interesting to see a guy who, frankly, I'm only familiar with him from office space. (laughs) So this was very much a different tone. And I thought he more than held his own.
1: Yeah, I thought he held his own for sure. I mean, office space is definitely the the one that always comes to mind when you're going to think he's just going to be that character. Um, Yeah, I thought he did a good job. Um, I never really see him as a family man because of office space, but I believed him, you know, I believed that he was, a. Family yeah, it man. also
0: helped that he had a pretty different look here. He had, you know, really long hair and that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: So then to me personally, I would say the standout performance of the film, Lily Taylor as Carolyn Perrin. I thought she had so much to do so yeah. many, such a wide range of emotions that she had to uh, portray and I thought she
1: handled it at all. Yeah, Lily Taylor, hats off. Um, if we could get like a sound bite of like a standing ovation, this is where we'd insert it. Um, yeah, she carried it, um, super wide range. I mean, yeah, she was, she was great and very convincing. I did read that um, in her research, she went back and watched The Exorcist, which is probably good research to do. Yeah, I would say. Um, Cause she's the one being possessed here. Yeah, Lily Taylor did a great job.
0: Um, So other than that, there's all the parent girls and then Drew and Brad, but really nobody else had really much to do. I mean, it was really those four carried the movie, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. So, Graham, is there anything else you want to hit on with this movie before we wrap it up?
1: No, nothing else. It's just thanks for, thanks for having us watch and, and to review this one. I really enjoyed it. I was kicking myself when I was watching this by myself, um, guys, because this would be a perfect one to have Stephanie watch and roll that tape to get her reactions. So I promise on the next film, I'm going to have her watch it because I know you guys love to hear her scream, right? <laughs> uh, absolutely. All right. So with that in mind,
0: our next episode is set to come out on June 25th. Now, this is normally the part of the show where Graham and I decide what film we're going to do next. Things are a little bit different this time because you see, folks, we, we can't announce it just yet because the, the details are not quite ironed out. But we are potentially working on something special for our next uh, podcast. But... Just in case things don't work out, I think it's good for us to have a backup plan. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to let Graham choose a film here. And if it's not going to be the podcast that we do on June 25th, we'll make it the next episode on July 9th that Graham's choosing for right here. Okay, everybody good with that? We're good. All right. So, Graham, I'm going to give you just two options. All right. Number one. I personally had so much fun watching this film. I kind of just want to keep going. So <laughs>
1: your first option is going to be the conjuring Two. All right. Well, that's very tempting because I am sucked into this universe <laughs> right now. So uh, I like what you did there. So the other
0: option, because you see it, it's like the summer of horror because there's another long running horror franchise that has a sequel coming out on July 3rd, the forever purge will be released. So you're, Second option, Graham, will be the original Purge film, The Purge. Okay. And actually, you know what? Just off the top of my head, I'll throw you one more just so you have, have, have something else to think of. All right. So how about instead of The Conjuring 2, we could just keep going in release order. And the second film would be Annabelle. So those are your three options. You have the Conjuring 2, which picks up the Warren story. We have The Purge to get ready for The Forever Purge on July 3rd. Or we have Annabelle, which would be the second film in the franchise that was released, but doesn't involve the Warrens.
1: Okay, I'm leaning toward The Purge because I like this this uh, trend that we're going on, where we're revealing movies as, like you said, all these great horror franchises are releasing their latest installments. So... I want to review The Purge, another one I have not seen. Wow. Yes, I know. And I prefaced it before, people. A lot of my horror knowledge comes from older films. Um, I'm getting back into this genre, and I think I can make Stephanie watch The Purge with me. So that's what I'm leaning toward, man. All right. So you're going to have to follow us on Instagram if you want to find out exactly
0: when that Purge podcast is going to come out. Is it going to be our next episode on July 5th? Are you going to, or or on June 25th? Are you going to have to wait until July 9th? You're going to have to follow Instagram to find out. So, Graham, how would they go about doing that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You can follow us on Instagram at Body Count Show. There you can see uh, we post horror horror movie posters, movie stills from the movies we're reviewing. Um, We love your interaction, love your feedback. Um, Great community on Instagram for horror. Um, Just, I like to go through um, that feed and just see all the cool things that people are doing. Um, There's people that make custom masks. um, There's people that make figurines, all kinds of cool stuff. So again, Instagram, great community. You can follow us at Body Count Show.
0: All right. So with that in mind, uh, we are going to wrap it up and we'll talk to you again with the movie To Be Determined.
1: (laughs) All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to Body Count. Um, Like Trent said, you're going to have to Tune in next week to see what we review. We're excited to hear from you. Um, Thanks a lot for listening.